You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. That's right, Bear Down Bears fans. It's time for not your average Bears post-game show. Bill Zimmerman with you, and I am joined today by Quentin Crisco of the ONTAP Sportsnet. And of course, he's got a couple podcasts you can check every week, the Bears on Tap Pod and the Shavings Point Podcast. So he's got a lot of good information. If you're not following him, make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Butkus Stats, nice and easy. He's got a lot of good content he puts on that Twitter page, especially in the offseason. But he's got a lot of good content he puts on that on his Twitter page regularly. And he joins me after an odd Bears victory, 12 to 10. Lots of positives, lots of negatives, and we're going to get into it. So, Quentin, how you feeling here on this Monday night? Weird. That was a that was an experience. I mean, I I thoroughly enjoyed watching that game, but it was like it was rough. <laughs> you know, there were so many ups and downs, and like my, my my motto right now as a Bears fan is if I just need to laugh at it, right? Like I have no control over it, and getting getting too upset over it, I just I can't do it anymore. I just need to laugh, and that's kind of where I'm sitting. And I I got a lot of laughs tonight. I'll tell you that. Yeah, that, th- th- this had the ugly level of a primetime game where you expected Al Michaels to be broadcasting this thing <laughs> and pissing and moaning about it. You know, Buck Buck and Aikman hung in there. They didn't complain too much. And some some of the things they were even responding to, I, I was a little, a little odd, some of the things they were saying. But, yeah, it was ugly. I, I think that the one thing everyone can agree upon about this game is that it was ugly. And it was ugly in a lot of different facets. Sure, there were some pretty plays here or there. The Vikings offense, you know, the Bears defense played well. I don't want to knock that that at all. But Josh Dobbs played a very poor game. We're going to use the old Cinderella expression. He turned back in. I, I think he's kind of been trending towards turning back into a pumpkin, but he officially turned back into a pumpkin tonight. It was it was not a good performance by him. He kept this game close in, in a lot of different ways. But uh, but yeah, let's. Let's start here. I mean, we've got a lot of different things to get on into, but we need to start with the end of the game because we've, we've got, you know, three things. The, the last three drives are, are fascinating. And, and I'm going to throw the Vikings in the middle here because Justin Fields fumbling that ball uh, on the run where you just sat there and went, well, that's it. Like, that's the end of Justin Fields, right? Like, you're just like, you keep seeing everyone say, well, you know, it doesn't matter how much better he's playing. He's still not getting the job done in the last two, three minutes, fumbles the ball there. Like, all right, this is it. That's that's the end of it. I tweeted that. Like that. I just you just felt it right there. Then Kevin O'Connell goes super conservative, a shanked punt, and suddenly the door is back open. They, you know, a, a completion, a few runs, and then a bullet to DJ Moore to set up the game-winning field goal. And Justin Fields finally gets that clutch drive at the end of the game. So kind of give me your thoughts and your emotions kind of going through this because, like, I, I mean, I had the, the door slam shut after that fumble. Was surprised Kevin O'Connell let the door creak open, and, and Justin Fields took advantage. 
Yeah, so we finally got to see Justin Fields in that moment, right? It's like you, you go back to like that week two in Tampa, and it was like he had he had a moment. He had to go drive, go get the win, and then it doesn't work out, right? You get the turnover, and that's been a trend that we've seen over and over and over. But there's always an excuse with it, right? There's always an excuse that you hate to make excuses, but there's a little part in your mind that's like, that did happen. Like Getsy did call the same screen back to back plays and little things like that. Or like last week against Detroit, it was like, they didn't take the timeouts. You only had 20 seconds. Can you really call that a failed game winning drive? I don't know. Are our expectations Pat Mahomes level or are they like, where are we sitting at? So the first time they got the ball back went down, it was like, okay, five minutes. This is it. This is a real moment that we can evaluate him on, that we can watch him in a fourth quarter drive trailing and see how he does. And like you said, when that fumble happened, it was like just soul crushing. Is the, like that? That's the phrase that keeps coming back to my mind of like, that's really it. It's really over. And I, I, I'm not a guy who's been sitting here pounding the table for fields or anything, but like just that little bit of hope that I still had felt like it was gone. But then the defense comes through and you do see him perform in that last minute drive, which is, you know, it's, it's a step. It's a step. I don't want to get overexcited. I don't want to get out over my skis on a field goal drive. Like that's where I'm any Mitch Trubisky territory, right? That's where I'm like, Oh, that field goal drive. That was clutch. He did that. But like, it's a step to getting some trust back, some, some hope back into his time as a Chicago bear. And I'm, if I'm being completely frank, the Carolina Panthers did me a huge favor this year. I'm not too worried about jockeying for draft positions. I'm like, we've got that pick, you know? So I'm just, I'm just here for the player development. And I feel like we did see a small step there, which is just refreshing. Yeah. There, there, there was definitely a step because it's something literally we, we haven't seen. And there's there's plenty of reasons. And I, I know we can sit there and, and look at, you know, the game against the Packers last year where ESB had, you know, took, took a poor route and Chase Claypool drops the ball. I think it was against Miami. Like, we've seen all the things that happen. But at the same time, I always sit there and say, and while there have been bad supporting casts around him before this season, you know, you still want to see the quarterback overcoming those odds. And we just weren't seeing it happen. And again, fair or not, that was what that was the situation he was in. Now we see him, like you said, take a step forward tonight. And it, in terms of what the, the in terms of the evaluation and seeing what he was going to do with the ball in his hands at the end of the game, we had like a, a crushing blow, but then followed that up with even a higher high. So, so there, there's an absolute positive there, but at the same time, Justin Fields' overall performance, it's really hard to evaluate this overall performance from him for a multitude of reasons. First, I love the way he came out of the gate, the way he was playing on that first drive, and whether it was – and it, it's hard to see originally. It didn't seem like there were a lot of opportunities for him, the way the game was called, to throw the ball down the field – but they certainly wanted to keep it short. It felt in a lot of ways like a Tyson Bagent game plan where we're just going to zip it out in one or two seconds. You know, let's avoid the Flores blitz and just get the ball out, get the ball out, get the ball out. Seemed to be the game plan. A lot of screens, just a, 
just a, a, a just we'll, we'll get into Getsy more here as, as in, in the next few minutes. But like I said, what, what the way Getsy called this game, it really gave a, a challenge to just sit there and watch Justin Fields and go, is this a game that we're going to, you know, in terms of the full body of work, we're going to tally that up and put it with Detroit and Denver and, and, uh, and Washington, or is this one where it's kind of in between? Like I said, this is, this was a weird game. It's a tough evaluation, especially on, on first call, uh, first look and not seeing the all 22 and what, what was going on further down the field. But, you know, in terms of just not just that final drive, but the overall performance, how did you feel Justin played? You know, I it's a weird spot, again, because it was better than the last Vikings game. Well, for sure. Right? Absolutely. I mean, it, the game plan was – it's tough anytime you're you're only throwing beyond 10 yards five times. And, like, I looked through the next-gen chart, and it was like – there were 33 charted passes in there of his 37. I guess the other four were probably throwaways. But of those, only five were 10 yards beyond the line of scrimmage, which is just – and 16 were behind the line of scrimmage. That's, right. That's half. Half of his passes were behind the line of scrimmage with a quarterback who, you know, the story on him has always been struggles with the short stuff, the behind the line of scrimmage stuff, but kills it on the deep stuff. And, you know, I – I do understand against a blitzing front, you can't be going as aggressive downfield as often, but considering that that stuff is, has been his weakness, what he's historically struggled with. I do think it's a little bit promising that we saw him executing short game and behind the line of scrimmage stuff consistently all night long. Um, Now, granted the other aspect that, you do kind of worry about with him is the downfield reads, especially against the more complex zone coverages. We didn't see any of that tonight. Right. And because they didn't try, they, they just said, we're, we're, we're just putting that on the shelf and we're going to do this because we think this will win us the game. Um, but so on the fields front, how do I feel? It's, it's conflicted. It's part of me says there's good in there. Part of me says, but they didn't do anything. I mean, it's, it's like, you're trying to, I'm trying to read Chinese and I, I don't know any Chinese. That's how I feel about it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And and that's kind of like I said, like it's it's a weird evaluation, like especially not seeing if he missed opportunities where maybe they were there because he was just getting it out quick. And that's the thing. This was absolutely the game plan, but were there opportunities that Getsy worked in there that Fields didn't? execute. I, I hate to say that because that, that's an Eberflus and a Getsy thing. Oh, the players didn't execute. It drives me nuts. But was that there? We don't know. We can't talk about that right now. But the game plan was definitely the short, quick game. We just don't know if there were supposed to be more downfield shots. It certainly didn't feel like it. It didn't feel like it. And, and I guess that's that's an opportunity to kind of talk about Luke Getsy here. And I mean, there, there must have been 20 screens called. I have no idea how many there were. It, it felt like it was happening every play. Uh, it was, you know, it was a lot of predictability. There wasn't a lot of creativity. You know, it was, you know, like e e even decisions in the first half. Like, all right, we're going to go for it on fourth and 10. I'm sitting there with my jaw agape watching it. They they convert the fourth and 10, then settle for the field goal. I mean, you're going to play aggressive and then just settle, still settle for three. It just just a lot of odd decisions. You know, the, the, it's again, this coaching staff for me just continues 
to, to leave a lot desired. You know, Eberflus as a defensive coordinator is really coming into his own with this personnel, I think. I, you know, I don't like giving Ed Eberflus a lot of credit, but as a defensive coordinator, he's definitely coming together with this group. But as a head coach, there's a lot to there's a lot to be desired there. And Luke Getze as an offensive coordinator continues, continues to 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 just struggle in my mind and not really take advantage of everything that this offense could potentially be. Yeah. I mean, so to your point with like the, what the game plan actually was, I mean, it, it felt like, and I want to, I want to believe that it was a lot of predetermined reads, like right off the bat, just, you know, ball, ball quarterback gets the ball straight. Like I know where I'm going with it off my pre-snap read, because that's what the game plan is. That's what we practiced all week. And that's what we're doing. But man, it's, it's bizarre how little they use the middle of the field. Oh, it and was that, it was definitely a plan to not throw it over the middle. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. And it's insane to me when you're talking about a this aggressive of a front. And Brian Flores knows exactly how he wants to attack fields. He's going to send, send bodies and bodies and bodies at him. And to not have hot routes going back towards the middle of the field where those bodies are coming from. Right. You know, those bodies aren't coming from the sidelines. They're coming from the middle of the field. You attack the vacant space. And I just I don't understand why it's such a issue. Like I don't feel like Fields is inaccurate to the middle of the field. I know he's hesitant to throw there, but he's you gotta think that he can figure it out if it's there, right? And that's but they're refusing to even try, and it's perplexing to me because you have DJ Moore who can take a slant 60 yards, you know, especially when there you're then seven guys at the quarterback. DJ Moore only has to make four guys miss. That's that seems easy to me, easy math. But it just it, it's it's beyond me. I I can't understand their lack of willingness to try to attack the middle of the field against those blitzes. S slants are definitely not something that Luke Getzey likes to call. I, <laughs> I you know I, again I I don't know exactly what the what the route trees are and, and what the percentages are of of what players have been asked, but that that is. It is definitely a screen over slant in terms of, you know, getting the ball out quick. That, that is not something that, that Getzy likes to utilize. You know, uh, you always hear about not being able to blitz great quarterbacks because they know exactly where to put the ball in the middle of the field. You know, it, like you said, attack the open space. And, and to me, and, and I'm not saying Justin Fields is there yet as a quarterback. He's not. And, and we, we know that. But again, it's this same thing we talk about of not understanding the assignment. And I understand Getzy and Eberflus's job is to, is to win the football game. And they did that today. As, as ugly as it was, 12 to 10, they came out with the victory. But the, the number one thing, not seven wins versus five wins or, or whatever it was, you know, unless, you know, Justin Fields broke out in an incredible way and led him to 11 or 12 wins. The number one assignment here was to get an evaluation of Justin Fields and know 100% if he was the guy and then when you have this game plan of just saying, we're not going to let Justin try and attack the space, the vac vacating space of the defender from the blitz. We're just going to, you know, spit the ball out, out to the sidelines for a one yard loss. And then you break a tackle and it's a four yard gain. And you're constantly in third and six, third and eight. It, like I said, it's tough to evaluate Justin Fields here because of the game plan. And again, it just comes back to what is Luke Getze doing? I don't think he trusts Justin Fields. 
I feel like he trusts Tyson Bagent more than Justin Fields based on what I saw him allow Tyson Bagent to do against the Saints, him allowing him to you know throw the ball to Darnell Mooney against Carolina to ice that game. And then we saw in Detroit last week where it was conservative runs up the middle, not letting Justin Fields you know try and perform. And to me, again, that is these are the moments we need to know if Justin Fields can elevate his game and elevate the offense and score points. And Luke Getze continues to go conservative, screen short, all this stuff. And overall, we don't see the game we need to see from Justin Fields. And a lot of it is due to handcuffing with the offensive game plan. Yeah. I mean, it, it almost feels like they, they box fields into a corner of, we're going to need you to be Superman in the final minute for this type of game plan, right? This was not a game plan to get a lead and keep it. It was a game plan to to get, go 18 rounds and try to finish with a knockout punch. And that, man, that the pressure that that puts on a guy to just go make an incredible play is it's big. It, it's the type of thing that makes a quarterback, I think, stand in the pocket an extra second, wait and hold the football or try to run and break tackles and leads to these fumbles. Like Fields deserves plenty of blame for the fumbles. Don't get me wrong here. But I feel like the Bears are continually putting him in this position of having to put the weight of the team on his back in moments where that's not really what you want to see. And it's resulting in these turnovers late in games because of it. Now, maybe – the late game turnovers would always be there no matter what. But I do think that there's a mental aspect there that's adding to it of the only thing that I know I can do is make, go make an incredible play. And that's what I'm going to try to do because that's what they need me to do. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, if you're going to put him in a position to make incredible plays and that's what he has to do, having DJ Moore as that option is it just elevates Justin Fields' game. And, and that's that's what it was so hard last season when the crap, and this is what it was, the crap that got put out there, it was Darnell Mooney, and you know then he trades for Chase Claypool, that backfires, Mooney gets hurt, and, and we just saw the receivers that were out there regularly, whether it was ESB as basically their top you know, weapon, Byron Pringle, just wh- whatever mess that they had out there. And you sit there and go, you can't trust these this group as a quarterback. That's why he ended up always throwing it to Colt Komet last last season. So to give him an option like DJ Moore that they, you know, it was frustrating early in the season with the Packers and, and the Bucks games where you're just like, well, what are you doing? You, you have this weapon and you're just treating it like, like you know, he's, he's Tyler Scott. And, and finally, you know, I, I think uh, Moore had like 12 or 13 targets today. Like he, w- he was constantly getting the ball, even on the, the screens where sometimes they were doomed to fail before, you know, Moore even had the ball. There was still a couple times he slips past the defender and turns a screen into a 8, 10, 12, 14-yard gain. And, of course, in that final drive, you know, Moore was a, a key part of that drive and, of course, makes the catch, you know, finds the space in the zone and Fields delivers a BB across the middle to Moore. And you just can't understate the importance you know, Ryan Poles hits and misses, absolutely. But holding out for, for that Carolina trade and going, if we're making this trade, 
DJ Moore as a part of this trade was a huge thing. Again, that that Carolina trade is, is just going to be a monument. If, if we're, assuming Ryan Poles sticks around here for, for a few years at least, that Carolina trade is going to continue to be the cornerstone of his rebuild and what he was able to put together. And having DJ Moore for Justin Fields, or if there's a new quarterback here next year, it's it's an unbelievable asset and something the Bears have really only had with Brandon Marshall, except you have a lot more of a, a I'll just say it, a stable wide receiver that that's it's a you know a, a safer guy to have in the locker room, and, and having him there and his ability on and off the field, it just you, it just speaks volumes to what what he can do for this team. Yeah, did did you notice how wide open the middle of the field was on that on that DJ Moore oh, catch? Absolutely, it was like the the, the Viking. I mean, I'm sure they were in man coverage, and it, it was like it felt like they were playing cover zero. It was so wide open, and like maybe Getsy's just playing the long game. Maybe he was just like <laughs> we, we can just we'll get him exactly where we want him, and they won't even defend this at the end of the game. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For those of you listening live, we appreciate you. If you've got comments or questions, make sure you drop them there in the stream. We will we will get to them here as we progress through this this podcast. But but Q, I want to switch over to the defensive side of the ball because I I think I, we, we need to talk about Josh Dobbs a little bit. But let let's focus on the Bears side of the ball here because defensively this team played well. No Tyreek Stevenson. I think Terrell Smith. You know, couple issues, but overall, I think he had a really nice game. I mean, you can't expect more from a fifth-round rookie as far as I'm concerned. You saw a lot of the potential he has to be a part of this secondary moving forward. Uh, You know, obviously, four turnovers forced is is outstanding. Pressure on Dobbs, it happened. You know, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but they were getting in the backfield. Montez Sweat made an impact. Javon Dexter made an impact. This, this is a defense that is really coming together now that a lot of these pieces, they're, they're not, it's not complete. The defense still need, needs some help. And I, I'm still pretty sure that they're going to be replacing Eddie Jackson after this season. I'm not sure how, what route they're going to go there, but feels hard pressed that he's going to be, be there with that salary in 2024. But this defense, and, and you have to credit Matt Eberflus for how he has them playing. It is coming together in 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 a big way and continues and about the last four or five weeks here to really be at least a top half unit in the league and at this point maybe even arguably a top 10 unit in the league yeah I mean they are they're playing good football I mean I think it's it's just good sound football there there's not a whole lot they're doing I think schematically that's that different or that creative but they're just going out and kind of kicking butt it feels like like their linebackers are hitting hard they're it's it's really like you know leather helmet like rah-rah football stuff it feels like which maddie refuse is probably all about but the d i think it all starts with the d line like getting montez sweat has been such a huge addition to this line and their ability to use the attention that sweat gets to be able to get dexter one-on-ones i think has been really big for this this unit, let alone like Billings too, but I don't think Billings is getting any one on ones. He's just too big for that. Um, but we've really seen Dexter kind of start start to flash that that raw power that he has much more often since they got sweat, and I think that that's really where it all 
comes from. I'm not sure where their blitzing numbers have gone since they got sweat. I haven't looked that up, but I'm as I'm talking about it, I'd be curious to see. Like I imagine they're blitzing less, which is putting less stress on the back end, and they're getting home more. So altogether, like this, the defensive unit today, I, they played outstanding. You know, Kyler Gordon starting to look like a, a real dude out there in the nickel, which is awesome to see. I mean, he's he's feels like he's all over the field right now. And the linebackers are starting to make some plays and, you know, they're paid to do it and they they're paid well to do it. So that's nice to see it coming through. Yeah. I mean, and TJ Edwards, couple impact plays. I know Troy Aikman was complaining that he actually intercepted the ball instead of batting it down, which, which I get, but again, that, that, that led to the, the Dobbs play and, and look, there, there was an opportunity and, and credit the defense again, like I said, for, for playing well. And they definitely made Dobbs uncomfortable and forced him into some of those decisions. But but I do think overall, I, I think Josh Dobbs had had a very poor game. I mean, you can't just you can't throw four interceptions and be like, oh, it was it was all the defense. He made some poor decisions. Uh, you know, wide open d- down the field after uh, was it, it was uh, Gordon slipped, I believe, and you know left player wide open down the field. It was a terrible throw by Dobbs. You know, you know got him got him out of bounds. Like when you you know. We, I hate to bring this up, but it is still a, a valid fact of the Matt Eberflus two seasons here. And that fact is Davis Mills, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, Josh Dobbs, Sam Howell, Bryce Young, and I am forgetting Brian Hoyer. Like... <laughs> That's not a who's who of who you're beating. And, and again, so and you could sit here and, and look look forward and see, you know, PJ Walker potentially here, you know, playing in, in a couple weeks and Desmond Ritter. Like there, there are going to be opportunities for this team to continue to win here. And you'd like to see them shut down a, a good quarterback. They they had and not that golf's great, but they had golf flustered, but then golf and Ben Johnson got the best of them late. So again, it's an issue that they can only really uh, annihilate these bad quarterbacks. But again, you can only play the schedule in front of you and, and this defense, you know, bad quarterbacking or not, you know, it really did step up. That's what this defense is. I mean, we saw it Sunday, Sean McDermott in Buffalo. What did his defense do? You know, they did enough to win until they didn't. At the end of the game, they're predictable. They're Eagles knew exactly what was coming. In Eagles went right down the field, did what they had to do multiple times. Like, I mean, this is not a defense that's built that, that structurally is built to beat good quarterbacks in today's game. It's built to beat bad quarterbacks who are going to make mistakes over and over and over. And that's what we've seen them do. And that's what we'll probably continue to see them do against backup quarter caliber quarterbacks. Like, I think every quarterback you listed is a backup caliber quarterback, right? Whether they're starting right now or not, they're. Any given year, the next three years, they might be a second string on any given team. You know, that that's, that's the type of quarterback they are. No one's investing in them as the future of their franchise. And you could put this defense up against a Jalen Hurts or any, a, a Pat Maybe. Mahomes from a few years ago, Justin Herbert. Like, it's a little different. You might get a turnover or two, a, a lucky fumble somewhere, make it three but you're not going to get them over and over and over. And at the end of the game, when you need the most, they're probably not getting stops against those quarterbacks because they're, that's what those quarterbacks do. They grew up beating this, beating the cover two. 
You know, the cover two was all the rage in Pop Warner in middle school and high school when they were coming up. Thank you, Lovey, for that. But that's what it is. That's what they saw. It's what they know. They know how to beat it. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's where you see Russell Wilson come back with a big second half, where you see the defense turning the corner, but Justin Herbert still lights them up. You know, Derek Carr plays, you know, decently, even though he's not even the same guy. I mean, the, the Bears are fortunate that they don't have a lot of great quarterbacks on their schedule this year. And, you know, quarterback play is definitely down overall. There's only probably seven or eight where you really kind of sit there and shake in your boots that, that they're on the opposite side of the field this, this season. But again, overall, it's who, who's in front of them. And again, for, for me with Matt Eberflus, and we're going to take a quick break here in a second, you know, after, after we kind of finish up talking about the defense and we'll, we'll talk about Matt Eberflus and his job security. But again, I, you, you like what you see from him and, and you like how the pieces are, are, are starting to come together. But again, it's still the, the long-term viability of this defense. And, and I know a lot of us want to see change. And like I said, we'll get that on the other side of the break. But like you said, you know, you, what you're evaluating right now is not can the Bears go 10 and 7 with Matt Eberflus's, you know, style defense and Justin Fields a quarterback. That's not what the goal is here. The goal is can this all come together and be a Super Bowl caliber caliber team? Can Justin Fields lead you to a Super Bowl? Is he a guy you can win because of or you can win with? Is Matt Eberflus's defense the kind of defense that can be a top five defense and a shot? That's why you have invested an obscene amount into this defense with, you know, I think it's six second round picks over the last two years and, and all the money spent at linebacker and, and, you know, with sweat and, and Ngakwe is, can this defense become a top five unit? That's, that's what, when you hire a Matt Eberflus, that's, that's what you're looking for is, can this defense be a top five unit and Justin Fields can do enough offensively on the other side of the ball. And even with things coming together better and Fields making the throw to more to set up the game winning field goal and this defense, you know, being lights out a lot today, it still feels like something's missing. Yeah. I mean, so this is, and I was, so when they hired Eberflus, I was, I was an Eberflus guy, right? Like I was, I was about it. And at this point I'm, I'm out on them. But as I've like been thinking through, like, why did I miss on that? You know, like why, what, was I really not seeing? And it's like, I, I'm going back through these Colts teams and it's like, they're in the AFC South. Those top 10 defenses that he had there, they're going up against the Jaguars, the Texans who had quarterback issues constantly, the Titans who, the Titans were, were good. But like when you're seeing the, the Jaguars and the Texans in the state that they were at that time, especially offensively twice a year, I think that boosts your defense quite a bit and helps you out and helps you find the playoffs. And, you know, you look at those indie teams too. They were 10 and seven caliber teams who couldn't win in the playoffs. And I don't think that those defenses stood up to the, the best quarterbacks in the league the same way. And that's ultimately where I think that I'm seeing this defense heading to if Eberflu sticks around, like they're going to be good enough to get your hopes up, but not good enough to get you over that hump. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to put it. So he is Quentin Crisco. I am Bill Zimmerman. This is not your average Bears post-game show. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stick around. 
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back into the podcast. Again, we are talking about a Bears victory, a juggernaut of a game, 12 to 10 over the Minnesota Vikings. The Bears win on a game-winning field goal off a Justin Fields clutch throw to DJ Moore. And, and Q, we were just talking about it before the break, kind of getting into Matt Eberflus. Let's talk about Matt Eberflus's job security because th- th- this is where things get weird for Bears fans, because I know Matt Eberflus is unpopular and I think he should be unpopular. And I am, and you know, anyone who listens to me or follows what I write and what I tweet, I am not a Matt Eberflus guy. I have not been for a while. I, I've been disappointed. I was disgusted with how he had this team prepared to play out of the gate in September. And, and I think that basically, you know, pissed away this entire season starting off 0-4, and, and now you sit here and look, the team is actually 4-4 four and four in their last eight games, which for a team, that was basically what this team was supposed to be, right? We were hoping this team was going to win seven to nine games and, and kind of hover around 500 and, and, like I said, be fun bad, where they, they were going to struggle, but they were going to have flashes and we were going to kind of see what this team was going to be in 2024. But, you know, Matt Eberflus, and he again. He has two historic losses on the season. The Denver Broncos game was the biggest blown lead in the history of the franchise. And that Lions game, like I said, was actually a a higher, you know, win probability than that Broncos game. And, you know, 40 plus minutes of time of possession plus three turnovers, first team in 90 years to lose that way. So we know we have the historic losses. And I know we sit there and say, well, Kevin Warren's a smart guy and he's going to know what he needs to do to make this team better. And he he might be. He may have his evaluation on Matt Eberflus and he is gone. That, that may be the case. We don't know. But I'm still going to sit there and say George McCaskey makes the final decisions. He's looking at this team that has gone four and four in the last eight games and they have winnable games down the stretch. I don't know if they can beat Cleveland, but whoever is going to be quarterbacking that team is not going to be good. So could they win another 12 to 10 game against Cleveland? Absolutely. I I think that's a possibility. I think they'll lose to Detroit when they come off the bye, but you know, they, they had an opportunity there before. So there's, there could potentially be an opportunity to, to do that again. Atlanta is not great. Arizona is bad. Green Bay final week. Who knows what that, that game's going to be. I assume they'll lose it because they always do, but who knows what's going to happen. And if you don't lose it, Right. If the Bears go seven and ten, let's say Matt Eberflus goes seven and six in his final 13 games this year, and they beat the Green Bay Packers and George McCaskey's grinning ear to ear. I don't think you can sit here and just assume that Matt Eberflus is gonna lose his job at the end of the season. Like I, you know, we, we talk about how evaluations aren't finished yet at this point, it's still November. I don't think Matt Eberflus's evaluation is finished. I, I hope it is. Like I said, I don't think he's the right guy for this job. 
but I certainly can't sit here and feel comfortable. Like, and I don't want to sit here and tell Bears fans, you need to cheer for losses. If you don't want Matt Eberflus around, tank, tank, tank. I'm not saying that's what you should do. But at the same time, I do think Bears fans need to understand that if they win enough here, you know, the, the back half of this season, that I think there's an absolutely, you know, a, a fairly strong probability that Matt Eberflus could return as the head coach if if they finish here in a, in a pretty solid way. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you make a good point. Like, I think if you do finish the last 13 games, seven and six, I could definitely see a world where George is like, you know, sitting at his desk, sipping his coffee or tea and going, that ain't, that's not bad, you know? We maybe he has something going there. Now, ultimately, I mean, I do agree with you. I think that I think there's a pretty clear ceiling on Eberflus. And even when he was hired, I like I thought you could kind of see that there was a clear ceiling. And my hope was that he'd be brought in as the the culture stabilizer, the the builder, and then a few years down the road, you go find your Super Bowl head coach. Now, I'm not sure that that has exactly come to fruition either, but. I do think that ceiling is still there of what he can probably be for you. Like I, I I'm thinking of him as like Matt Eberflus is Dan Campbell on one cup of coffee a day. Like, so you're, you're taking out the up downs, you're taking out the kneecap biting and it's just, it's a calm Dan Campbell. And I'm not sure how far that actually gets you. Like, so for me, like, I guess the answer there is you hope they lose a little more just to get rid of them. But like, you also hope that they and they ownership has not given us any reason to think that they're this competent, but you hope that they have conceded the mistakes that they've made in the past with like if they're taking a new quarterback, you want to align that kid with a, with a coach who he's going to have for three years at least. Right. You, you want to align stuff up right. You want to get the right people in the building. You've seen Matt Eberflus' assistance. You've seen the struggles that they've had to one keep or bring in people into the building with him as head coach that they trust clearly. I mean, I don't know how you regain some of the trust that they've lost after you've seen what three assistants gone this two or maybe oh, it's only two, but two assistants gone this year in a year where you were supposed to be getting stuff in the right direction, be close to a playoff team. Maybe you lose two of your assistants in season. Like that is, I think that that is hard to hard to trust beyond whatever your your final 13 games record is I would hope I would really hope. Yeah, and that's the thing. There there there's plenty. And that's the thing. I, I don't want to sit here and be like people to think that I'm a Matt Eberflus guy and I think he's building something and this is this is all going to come together. There's plenty of mistakes. You know, Chase Claypool was mishandled, you know. Like Chase Claypool and I'm not saying he's a good guy. Uh, I understand he was a problem here, but, and, and I understand the bears were losing a lot and that certainly doesn't help his attitude. Chase Claypool is playing special teams in Miami. I mean, he's quiet, I, you know, and again, winning games, that's certainly going to help, but there was certainly a disrespect of the way Chase Claypool saw that. And I'm not taking Chase Claypool's side. He was a problem and, and that absolutely needed to happen. But again, that wasn't handled well. And Eberflus didn't handle it well at the podium and, and left, you know, questions about all that. And we've seen the poor coaching decisions and the conservative play calling. And like you said, the, the coaches being fired for HR violations and the historic losses. Like there are plenty of reasons 
to to let Matt Eberflus go at the end of the season. I'm not saying they're not, and I'm hoping that 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 they're there. But again, the bottom line here is wins. And if this team is winning and feeling like it goes in the right direction, like if you told me at the beginning of the year that the Chicago Bears would go seven and ten, and I understand they can go five and twelve. This can absolutely. I'm not just assuming this team's going to keep winning games. But what you know, I'm looking at a team here who has played better. The games are competitive and close these last few weeks. So I'm going to assume that's going to continue to happen and that they're going to win at least a couple more games here down the stretch. That's the way I see it right now. But if you told me at the beginning of the year that the Bears were going to go seven and ten, I mean, I, I said that they were going to go eight and nine. Um, you know, if you told me they went seven and ten and and that these certain things happen and the defense played like, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, top, you know, 10 DVOA over the back half of the season, all this stuff that that may happen if they continue to play like this, I'd sit there and be like, okay, they're in the right direction. Now, if you actually watch it all play out, then you're going to sit there and go, oh no, there, there's a lot, a lot of issues here. But, but at the same time, what I concerned about, and, and you mentioned it, and we, we talked about that they have an opportunity to align everything and do it the right way. And, and that we just haven't seen it where, you know, Phil Emery was told that he had to keep Lovey Smith and he didn't want to do it. And that caused a problem. And then, you know, we, we come in here with, you know, John Fox, not even knowing that Mitch Trubisky was going to be drafted. And then Fox is fired and Matt Nagy comes in and he didn't both, want He didn't want Mitch. Both Trub- inheriting Cutler. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you have the Cutler thing. And then again, Matt Nagy inherits Mitch Trubisky. That doesn't work out. Then, even though they shouldn't have been there, Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace get to keep Justin Fields. And then that doesn't work out. And if Justin Fields is still here, or you have an opportunity and you decide to take Caleb Williams or Drake May, and you've kept Matt Eberflus, maybe you've changed offense, the coordinator, maybe you haven't. And then the Chicago Bears regress with their rookie QB and go 4-13, and and Matt Eberflus gets fired. And then we're sitting here with a rookie quarterback again, getting a new offense, a new coach, and the mess continues. So that's been the big thing for me is the opportunity for alignment. And I sincerely hope the Chicago Bears have learned their lesson and that Kevin Warren understands this. And, you know, because and, and, and we'll talk about that, that that selection here in a second. There, there is an opportunity to do things the right way in Chicago that literally has never been done. Yeah, I mean, so there, there are two things that like keep popping in my head and I keep forgetting to say. Like, so the opportunity cost, I would hope, is enough for them to just say it, it, it's done with the Eberflus. Like, you have a really clean salary cap situation right now, right? You have no bad contracts on the books, nothing that is eating into your ability to go obtain high-quality football players that fit whatever scheme it is that you're looking to run. On top of that, two top five picks as of this moment. Like the Bears are still slated at number four, I believe, and uh, the Panthers pick obviously sitting at number one. You are right now. You you are a head coach's dream. They're not inheriting a quarterback. Two top five picks, all the cap space in the world, no real diva talent that you're dealing with on this roster that you have to have to work around their contract because they're stuck there. Like. You are going to have – I personally think that you could have a line outside Hallis Hall of head coaches looking to interview for you of quality head coaches because obviously, you know, if they just open it up, I'd be I'd be in line. Like, But that doesn't matter because you're going to get good 
quality coaches wanting to come be coach of the Chicago Bears and the opportunity cost of keeping Eberflus is it's huge in my mind. And then also on the back on the Eberflus defensive front, I said good quarterbacks beat it, but I think that might be being a little too nice because you reminded me of Jared Goff and Russell Wilson, who got their numbers are really nice right now. And Goff is probably closer to good than Wilson, but capable quarterbacks can be this defense lightning yeah. games. Yeah, no, that's that's a good way to put it. And that and again, like you know, that you know, and I don't remember who the receiver was, but you know, I still am just I can watch that Russell Wilson play where he just launched it down to midfield and, and you know, because he just Hey, that's cover two. I know how to beat that. I've done that, you know, for 15 years. So yeah, again, that, that continues to be, you know, something that, you know, like you said, it puts a ceiling on this defense because of the, you know, basically the antiquated style that, that they play. Now, when getting back to, like you said, how this can align for 2024 and, and again, we want to sit there. I'm not saying that Justin Fields is 100% gone. And if the Bears do have the number one pick, you absolutely can have a lot of fun with the thought of trading back again and the kind of haul that you could get for trading back. It, it's a lot of fun. And, and to uh, just imagine the amount of pieces and the amount of first round picks just coming out your ears. Like there's a lot of positive positivity for, for trading back. But I mean, we're, we're at a point here with the Carolina Panthers that it is pretty close to a virtual lock that this is going to be a top two pick. It, it may be the number one pick. I mean, the, with, with strength of schedule being the tiebreaker, they have the strength of schedule tiebreak against basically every other team except the Bears. And now the Bears are winning enough games that, that they're not really in the mix. So you're, you're at a point. For the Carolina Panthers to not pick in the top two, what needs to happen is that the Patriots and the Cardinals need to lose out and the Panthers need to win two games. This is a one in 10 team, whatever they are. They need to go two and four down the stretch. That, I mean, three and three seems like a virtual impossibility with how bad this team is playing. They fired Frank Reich. It's a David Tepper screaming obscenities in the locker room afterwards. The Panthers are a complete dumpster fire. Two and four seems like the absolute ceiling. And if they don't go two and four, if they go one and five or 0 and six down the stretch, that's it. The Bears have the number one pick. And then I sit there and I go back to everything. And while, like I said, the trade down and the possibilities of the hall are, are fun, you, you still sit there, and I go back to what Ryan Pohl said last year. We need to be blown away by a prospect to move on from Justin Fields. He is going to, if they have the number one pick, I believe they are, you know, it's probably going to be Caleb Williams. Maybe it's a curveball and they take Drake May, but I believe there will be a press conference in April where Ryan Pohl says, we were blown away by blank and we needed to move on from Justin Fields. I just can't see them having the number one pick. And Fields, you know, like I said, there's still a quiet. We're we're basic. We're in December now because we're hitting the bye, and then you know we're we're going to be whatever December tenth, twelfth, whatever the next game is. We're at a point where we're that late in the season, and we still don't know Justin Fields. Right? We don't have the answer, and not having the answer this late in the season, in a way, is kind of the answer. So that, that's where I kind of sit there and say, if they have the number one pick, and again, and I say it all the time, I'm a Fields guy. 
I love Justin Fields. I love that he threw the BB to, to DJ Moore, and he got that where he could just feel good about himself. But I just can't see this organization and the way Ryan Poles has been running things to have the number one pick with Caleb Williams and Drake May available, who are both better prospects than Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud were. And the fact that you've passed now on C.J. Stroud, who looks like he's clutch and, and really good. And if you pass on Williams and May for Fields, and Fields is pretty good, right? Fields is the top 15, 16 quarterback, maybe top 12, 13 quarterback. And you've passed on two or three now top five, top 10 quarterbacks in the league. That's how you lose your job. Yeah, and I mean, so speaking of the Panthers pick, like as you were saying that, I just pulled up their schedule. I mean, so the the one thing as you were talking about that, that worried me, it's like the dead cat bounce from firing your head coach, right? Like you see it all the time where a team fight. We saw it with Josh McDaniels. Like not that I think Reich was McDaniels, but to to the point where a team fires a head coach and everyone just kind of they, they cross the T's and dot the I's a little more. They make sure everything is done that week because butts are on the line, you know, everything is up for sale essentially it feels like in the building and everyone takes a little more care but they have the bucks in tampa this weekend i like that a lot because the bucks just got embarrassed so the bucks are going to be doing the same things because after you get embarrassed it's a very similar atmosphere i would think and then they got the saints in new orleans after that before the falcons like so three division games in a tight division race that the Panthers are not a part of. I like the odds of them losing those games. And then you're by then you got the Packers, but you're, you're at the end of the season. You know, you're in the last three weeks, guys are already making plans for next, for their off season for next year. Like this stuff is kind of done. So I really like their odds of that number one pick. I think that looks very strong. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I'll, I'll be curious what, what the odds you know, after another week, if they lose again, I mean, those odds, they just keep jumping higher and higher. I mean, they're up in the, you know, 70%, 75% range that it's going to, it's going to finish that high. So again, if you're listening live, we appreciate you. If you've got any questions or comments, drop them in here. We're going to wrap up this podcast in a few minutes, but let's get to some of these comments here. Let's start with Jay Haggerty, who says this game was terrible, should have scored 30 it's time to move on from Getzy, too many screens, and JF won 35 turnovers in 35 games, not the QB for the future of the Bears. So, Jay, I'm going to say absolutely, Luke Getzy, I continue to have problems with how he calls a game. I, I'm not going to sit there and argue it. And again, I think Justin Fields, like I just said, the fact that we don't have a definitive answer is you know, a, a knock in the negative column for, for Justin at this point in the season. But again, Here's the one thing I will say about, about Justin Fields and my evaluation of how I'm evaluating him right now. And, and if you want to say that's stupid and I shouldn't do it this way, that's fine, but I'm going to do it either way. I Going into this season, I threw out 2021 and 2022. I didn't care that, you know, the, the turnovers and how he had played. There, I thought there were a lot of reasons why he, he needed some help and development. It wasn't there. He had to learn three offenses in three years. When you know, when you think about you know Ohio State, then going into you know the the Nagy offense and then the Getzy offense, and, and the terrible weapons he had you know last year. There were so many reasons for Fields to struggle, and I wanted to evaluate this season. And, and then he came out of the gate sloppy and and poor, and and again some of that was Getzy, whatever. So 
I'm actually throwing away the first two seasons and the first three games of the year. Maybe that is too much, and you sit there and go, you can't do that. That's part of Justin Fields' body of work. But I feel like this Justin Fields quarterback that we're seeing is the quarterback that started in the Denver Broncos game moving forward. Is that perfect? You know, he had a bad game against the Vikings. He was injured. That injury is part of that assessment because now he has missed multiple games in all three seasons. That absolutely is part of your evaluation process. But to me, Q, I look at this as what has Justin Fields done from the Broncos game moving forward and moving forward the rest of the season? If I'm evaluating Fields as a quarterback, and again, I almost think part of it at this point doesn't matter because of that number one pick, but if I'm evaluating him, I don't care about what he did against the Minnesota Vikings in 2022. No, I mean, I, I'm i with you on the, on the first two years kind of being out the, out the window, and I, I think by year three, it's kind of, if you're not showing it, you're not showing it is kind of where I sit with it. And I mean, I... I, I just pose this question. If you if you were seeking to destroy a talented young quarterback, what would you do differently than the Bears did in Fields' first two years? Yeah, I mean, they, they pretty much checked all the boxes yeah. to do that. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think Bad was, offensive line, bad weapons, change in coaching. I've said, uh, I mean, <laughs> I've, I've said over and over on other podcasts – I thoroughly believe the Bears have failed Justin Fields much more than Justin Fields has failed the Bears, but a fail a failure is a failure. And I, I think that's where we're where we're kind of sitting. I hope I'm wrong. I would love to be wrong because I'd love especially because I'd love to have two top five picks that I'm not having to spend on a quarterback, but I think that's where we're at. Yeah, I, I think so too. Let's move on to this one from Scott C from Iowa. Uh, things we learned tonight, broken helmets will get you a taunting penalty. This defense is improving and how Jenkins goes, the offense goes. I wanted to, I wanted to make sure I got to this comment because while it didn't matter in, in, in the end of the game, I have to sit there and go, I don't under, I, I'm going to bring up two things, think two things about the officiating here. I don't understand how, what they saw with that Kyler Gordon play. Maybe there was something that happened where, where the cameras didn't catch it, but Kyler Gordon is blocking after an interception out of bounds. The the Vikings player is got a hold of his face mask, basically rips it off the helmet and Kyler Gordon takes it off because his helmet is broken. Not only does he get, you know, the, the, the the penalty, he gets taunting as well. I'm sitting here going, what are the officials looking at? And Aikman and Buck didn't do anything about it. How they can't say sit there and say, what are the officials even seeing here? But but again, they 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 let it go. And, and the other thing I just want to say is, and I've brought it up because Matt Eberflus never says anything about it. Justin Fields continues to get drilled like a running back, and nobody says anything about it. Nobody does anything about it. There was a clear helmet to helmet hit on him, you know, in the middle of the line of scrimmage there on, on a design run. He got his bell rung pretty good on that. Nothing is called in, in that situation. Javon Dexter, and again, I think that was I think that was roughing the passer because his weight came down on, on on Dobbs there, and that that's a penalty now. But we're not seeing it on both sides of the ball. And really, the only quarterback I've ever seen, and and this isn't about running quarterbacks because I don't see Lamar Jackson ha- having these issues. The only quarterback I've seen that continue to not get calls like this is Cam Newton. He, he never seemed to get calls, and now I'm seeing Justin Fields never seem to get the calls. I don't understand, you know, 
again, like I said, the Kyler Gordon thing was weird, and I don't know how how the refs came to that conclusion, but I am really bothered by Justin Fields not getting any protection from the officials. Yeah, it's, I mean, we've been through it for a few years now, right? Like, I mean, there was a point where it felt like it was getting better, and then it's like the pendulum, pendulum just shifted back to the other side to just not getting any calls again. So, I mean, I, it's, it sucks to see. I mean, you're seeing a guy get injured out there and like not getting the same protections that other quarterbacks are getting. Uh, and shout out to Scott from Iowa, one of our one of our uh, listeners over there at Bears on Tap. It always always jumping in our comments. Good guy. And what he said about Jenkins. I mean, I, I think Jenkins is clearly the tone setter of this offensive line now. Like it's the last few years. Like he was the tone setter before, but like now he's he's pretty cemented as as. The as you go, we go guy. And I, I love it. I love to see it. The attitude that he brings out there. Darnell Wright tends to feed off it. It's that he's the guy on that offensive line right now. And you hope that he can continue to stay healthy, fingers crossed, and keep going because he looks like he can be an all-pro caliber player right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he, he goes out for a couple series. You get nervous. Like, here we go again. But yeah. he was able to get back out there. He's got a bye week to rest up. So, again, if he stays healthy the rest of the season, you know, you're, you're going to have a difficult conversation about that contract extension because, I mean, that, that's a guy who's going to need that $12, $14, 15000000 million contract extension, maybe more. I don't know if you can put, you know, a, a base with, with reachable goals for games played, something like that for, for bonuses. I, I don't know what this – maybe they could do something creative. Maybe Jenkins would be okay with that. But you're right. He, he's a phenomenal player. Wright's, you know, does a lot of good things, and he's just a rookie. Wright's going to really be be a force on this line. Davis is a solid player, and and we're really seeing it it come together, assuming Braxton Jones stays at left tackle and they don't take, you know, Fashionu or someone like that because they're going to have another high pick. They're a center away from having a very good, high Mm -hmm. caliber, potentially top 10 offensive line in the league. I, I think it's coming together that well. So I think absolutely having Jenkins is is key. Uh, I'll get to another one here from Scott while while we're on Scott DJ Moore a thousand three receiving yards after tonight. The reason I just want to bring it up is I I thought DJ Moore was going to have a chance. I thought Fields was going to have a better passing season than he's had, but it, it's still there regardless of him missing games and not quite having the passing numbers consistently. I thought he would. The all time franchise record is Brandon Marshall with one thousand five hundred eight yards. And I thought that coming into this year, I thought DJ Moore had a chance. He still has a shot. So he needs to average 101 yards the rest of the way to get to that number. And he's basically, that's what he averages when Justin Fields is the quarterback. So assuming Fields plays the rest of the way, assuming Moore plays the rest of the way, there's going to be an opportunity for him to have in his first season in Chicago the franchise record for receiving yards in a season. And I think that, again, just shows, like we talked about earlier, his impact that he's had on this team. Yeah, it's been it's been awesome to, wa- to watch. I mean, week one, I think we all got a little nervous when it was, like, underwhelming. It was like, uh, this. hopefully this isn't their plan the whole year, and luckily it hasn't been, you know. It's been nice to see him get his yards up and get – you know, I mean, a thousand yards wasn't automatic for him in Carolina with their QB situation. So, I mean, he's playing great football here, and um, considering the Bears' quarterback situation as well, like, I mean, it's a real accomplishment to be that far along at this point in the season for him. And we'll get to a couple here with Chris Armstrong as we wrap up. 
I love Justin, good friend of the program, Chris Armstrong. I love Justin, but those fumbles broke me. And that's the thing. I get it. And I do think that that's going to be part of this evaluation when when Ryan Poles looks at Justin Fields and says, hey, this guy finally made the drive to win the game. That's what we needed to see from him. But he went one for two with that today. And I do think that's going to be held against him. You want to say it shouldn't be? Okay, fine. But I do think they're going to look at it and go, he had his opportunity. He literally let it slip through his fingers. But fortunately, because of the defense and some conservative plays from Kevin O'Connell, got a second opportunity and made the most of it. That's not always going to happen, right? I mean, and again, I know he was looking to make a play, but he had my heart thumping holding on to that football. It must have been 10 or 12 seconds on on those two back-to-back incompletions Mm -hmm. where he threw them away. You know, those are things that I think Ryan Poles is going to look at and go, you know, I know Justin Fields has confidence in his escapability, but literally they had no timeouts. If he took a sack there, the game was over. I know he didn't. I know I'm playing the what-if game. But I do think when Ryan Poles makes this evaluation of Justin Fields, absolutely feathering Justin's cap that he made the big throw that he had to. But there were still things that I have a feeling Ryan Poles will, in essence, hold against him in this evaluation. Yeah, I mean, Justin Fields goes out and beats the Lions with good numbers and good performances, beats the Browns. We all look at it, look at it as the turning point, right? He goes out and continues to struggle with things that he has struggled with and continues to turn the ball over in those situations. It was an anomaly. Like, it's it's in his hands how the, how it turns out here. He Like I said earlier, he took – there was a – it's a step in the right direction, and it's still on, on his shoulders how that turns out. And we'll wrap up with one other from Chris Armstrong saying, Getsy should be fired immediately. I know we love to say that coaches should be fired in season. And there's been opportunities here, you know, between the Denver Broncos loss and some of the stuff Getsy has done. And, and of course, the Lions loss for Eberflus and everything. But at the same time, I just don't see anything like this happening. I think, honestly... If we're going to sit here and say, what's the best thing for Justin Fields? Luke Getzey's not the best thing for Justin Fields, but I don't know if sending a shockwave through the offensive room and just removing Luke Getzey, especially when there's there's not an experienced guy there, there you know, there, there's just, you know, Andrew Jonico or whatever, whatever they would do there. I, I don't know if that's a smart thing to do moving forward again. Luke Getzey better not be running this offense next season. Uh, and, you know, he frustrates me, even though, you know, just, you know, seeing Tom Pelissero's list of, you know, potential head coaching candidates, he had Luke Getzey on there and basically said that he's pretty well regarded in league circles. I don't know how much they're watching and how much they've seen from this season with some of the stuff he's done. But again, I, I like I said, I don't think Getzey will be here in 2024 because I still don't think Eberflus is going to be here when it's all said and done, but I don't think he will be fired immediately. I don't think he will be fired at all during this season. And while, again, like I said, I don't like him, I do think it could be actually more harmful than good to kind of send a shockwave like that through the offense and, and kind of, you know, have them recalibrate this late in the season. Yeah. I mean, and you're talking about a staff that's already down two coaches. And it's not like it's not like the Bears have a have a giant football staff. You know, they're they're probably around average for the league. So taking away two guys just puts that much more work on everyone else's shoulders. 
So if you're going to do that with a, another one of your coordinators, it's, it's it would have to be for quite a bit of cause outside of just what's happening on the field, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. So, again, that is Quentin Crisco. You can follow him on Twitter slash X at Butkus Stats. And, of course, you can read him on Tap Sportsnet and listen to him slash watch him on the Bears on Tap podcast and the Shaving Points podcast. Again, a victory, sort of, as the Bears beat the Vikings 12 to 10 on Monday Night Football. Q, thanks for joining me here. That was a lot of fun. Again, a weird game to try and evaluate, especially on, on a snap judgment here without really being able to pull back and kind of, you know, see how, how all, all the, you know, all the gray area here of what couldn't, couldn't have happened here. But again, thanks for joining me. Do you have any final thoughts about, about the game or the season that maybe we haven't touched on yet? Um, well, just thanks for having me on. I want to say first of all, but final thoughts. I mean, it's, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's draft season. Uh, I'm already watching guys, so I'm uh, I'm just I'm just getting ready. I'm I'm gearing up, watching offensive line, defensive line for the from college tape already. So it's uh, I'm still putting in plenty of work on the Bears O line every week, and that's something that has just come together beautifully this year. Like aside from the center position, as you as you mentioned, I am thoroughly impressed with Ryan Poles and what he's done with this O line. And that's coming from a guy who in week four was saying, I don't understand why you would keep Ryan Poles. Um, I'm starting to see stuff come together from him, especially in the trenches that I'm really liking. Yeah. No, the, the trend on, and to be, to be fair on both sides of the ball, he, you know, he got a lot of criticism for Montez sweat, but again, he wanted to try and get a blue chipper and said, the only way I'm going to do that is I trade a second round pick, you know, he goes out and does something bold like that. Javon Dexter, who, Let's be a fair Bears Twitter crushed when that that selection was made too slow off the ball, everything like that. Well, you know, he was he was one of my draft crushes, but <laughs> yeah, and I, was thinking, I, I wasn't screaming it from the rooftops when it happened either. <laughs> I hadn't watched a lot of Dexter beforehand. When I did watch it, I, I sat there and did see that I had Brett Coleman on my podcast shortly after the draft and he he had a crush on Javon Dexter and said no the power that he has you you know you're you're going to like what you see so again a lot of good rookies from polls a lot of good stuff in the trenches and again whether it's fields or a a rookie get a veteran center don't wait for the draft there go out whether it's Connor Williams whoever it might be get a center stabilize this thing and really you know you're we're going to see an opportunity for 2024 the trenches that Ryan Poles promised, I think, are really potentially going to come together in, in 2024. And that, that'll be a good thing to see. So, Q, thank you, everyone who watched live or are checking it out on the podcast. Thank you very much. Again, we got a bye week. And then it's going to be interesting here down the stretch to see how all this comes together for Matt Eberflus, for Justin Fields, and for the future of this Bears team. Q, thanks so much. Yep, thanks for having me. All right, bear down, everybody. We'll talk to you again soon. Adios. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. 
Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this show comes from Wix Studio. Designers and devs, you might be able to do your thing better on Wix Studio, a web platform with everything you need to deliver bespoke sites hyper-efficiently. Design teams get a ton of smart features that can take the grind out of web creation without it costing per-pixel control. Dev teams, you get a zero-setup, developer-first environment, combined with an AI code assistant and your preferred IDE for rapid deployment. Search Wix Studio today to explore the full range of features.